Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, WCC. We're not in Leviticus today. I'm sorry. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, so we're going to be speaking about the unborn. There are churches throughout our nation today that are taking this topic upon themselves, uh, speaking for the voice that cannot speak for itself, for the little one that is innocent, that is unsafe, um, oftentimes. Um, There are several ways to go about such a large topic. It's been very overwhelming Right now, I feel overwhelmed, not because of preaching. Um, I'm somewhat relaxed with that, but it is just an overwhelming topic emotionally, mentally, and spiritually to try and tackle, and to do so with with grace, with hope in mind. Uh, Not knowing everyone here, but there's a probability someone here has taken the action of abortion. Um, and maybe if you have not, you know someone very close in your family or a friend of yours who has taken part in abortion. Today, I do not want to villainize those that have committed this sin. And I don't want to talk uh, bitterly about the world and how evil and perverse and awful they are. But it is sin. We can go about this from a legal Standpoint, and I was thinking that I, I am no legal scholar and I would not want to preach that in front of Jeff. Luckily, he's not here, so I can go longer than he requested. Um, I, I'm no biologist or, or scientist. I, I was home learned, and when it came to science, my mom allowed me to get by. Um, so I'm not going to be talking about the development of a child within the womb in certain weeks. I will say that trimesters are a legal thing that was made up um, from the courtrooms. Uh, some people would say, though, that's really, how does science play a part in our day and age? Science has become so politically charged. We can have people that can give birth, that are pregnant persons, people that can go through cycles, and they're not, it's not identified as a gender thing. Um, sexuality has become so fluid in our culture. If you were to argue with science, you have to ask, what science are you going to use today when we have this discussion? So I was thinking, how am I going to speak on this topic? And I thought about several of the young girls in our church. And my prayer is, they'll listen to this sermon again. And there will be holes in it. It will not be perfect. I'll be the one leading it. But my prayer is that when they are among their peers or when they're, you know, before professors or when they're at work and there's this pressure for them to think a certain way or or justify a certain action that goes against God's word, they can come back to this sermon and visit some passages where God speaks on this topic. What's sad about our culture today even is there's so much demand for men to be silent or to, or to shut up on this topic. Um, that's a pretty common um, angle in which those who are 
pro-choice, engage men. Be quiet. Shut up. If my sons are hearing me on Facebook right now, yes, dad said the word shut up. You, You have no voice in this. But I am a man. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I have breath in my lungs. And I believe I have a right to speak on this. And it's right, men, for you to speak on this and not to be silent. Thinking about me being a man, I have four children. And all of them resemble me in some way. If you put a beard on Naphtali, she looks just like me. And we have the same temperament. Don't blush, girl. Eden Geneva. She is the peacemaker that I am. And she's hilarious. She, she loves to joke around and she's good at it. Zebulon Allen James. The boy is in love with my wife. And he loves to go around the house like me and fix things. He usually does it with a hammer or a hatchet. (laughs) And we're just as successful. And then there's Zion Asher. He's 98% Amber, 2% me. But he has a love for superheroes that I can identify with. But the smile is all Amber. The energy is 1,000% Amber. I have a right as a dad to say this. Not only that, as a follower of our Lord, it is my duty to speak on topics of this nature. So I have a list of reasons why abortion is wrong. Abortion is a violation of God's law. Now we're going to be all over the place today. If you want to turn and try and keep up, Go ahead. Uh, There's too many passages for me to put up on the slide, and I am the elder that procrastinates, so you'll never see me have a slide up here. (laughs) Exodus 20, 13. God's law says, you shall not murder. We are not to murder. Now, this isn't an argument for someone that is outside of the faith. You give this sermon to an unbeliever, most of this won't mean anything to them. My desire, again, is to disciple and and to educate primarily our young ladies in the room. There is a difference between killing and murder in the Bible. We also have in Leviticus 19.16, you should not go about as a slaughterer among your people, And you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So murder is to bring about vengeance. This is planned. This is premeditated. This is acting out in rage and in anger. We see murder enter into the Bible very early on with Cain and Abel, thinking about how the serpent has attacked the seed from the very beginning It does not take long for murder, for an attack on God's promise to the seed, to unfold. Now, the Bible is for execution. And we're not going to unpack all of that today. But the Lord is against murder. Jesus, when asked 
to summarize the law or when interrogated. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it's my conviction that abortion violates both laws. Loving God, loving what the sovereign creator has done, and loving your neighbor. Think about that child in the womb. How could you be a closer neighbor than that? To a mother waking up in the middle of the night because of a kick, because of the baby moving around in the womb. That's a neighbor. God's law also protects the taking of life. So not only does God say you are not to take life, but then God also, he establishes a law to protect those that would murder. Leviticus again. Leviticus 24, 17 through 20. If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. The one who takes the life of another animal shall make it good, life for life. If a man injures his neighbor just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. Now we're going to get to this passage in Leviticus in a couple of months. It's going to be really exciting. This is not to be taken out of context. Leviticus is a book of the law. Yahweh is not saying seek out vengeance. When someone does something wrong against you, then knock on their front door and say, here I am, and then punch their tooth out. If you get poked in the eye by someone, Yahweh isn't saying, okay, now go over there and remove that eye that's in that individual's skull. But the Lord is establishing a law, and there is to be equality, there is to be fairness here. The courts are not going to side with royalty. The courts are not going to side with nationality. The courts are not going to side with gender. The law is to be fair. Now, this has had a very long history, this law, of being misinterpreted. And when Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 5, he says, I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Let the law do what the law is designed to do. Believers, however, they are to pursue love and forgiveness, not retaliation. Jesus is saying, the law of love and forgiveness is on the believer. If you are offended, if you are hurt, allow the law to be the law, but you, you are to forgive. And that's how we, that's how we keep those things in balance here. When we become a Christian, it doesn't mean that we don't desire justice on the land. And yes, we are to be a forgiving people. We're not to hold grudges, and we're supposed to be at peace with all as best we are able. But the law is good, and the law saves. 
and it protects. It's a keeper. So we as believers, we understand the category of law, and we also understand the category of love and forgiveness. God says if you take a life, a life should be taken. Some might see, well, if this baby is born, then my life is over. There is some level of truth in that possibly. And hear me patiently with discernment in this. Not every baby is born in a home with a mother and father. Not every baby is planned. Sometimes a baby being born stops dreams that were being pursued. We should understand that. We should not be harsh. Having a baby is a sacrifice. Having baby and having a child, a child, especially unexpected, is overwhelming. Amber and I have four. We were intentional with this. The last two Sundays, I have not been able to hear Jeff's sermon because of some child activity. I have witnesses who I sat in front of last week. And I I like sitting next to Catherine and Keith because there's a lot of kids and you might not know who made the noise. (laughs) Last week, Amber didn't know that I sat in our original place next to Tim, who's six foot infinity. So she goes to the side and then there is no escape. There is no umbrella for the noise. It's the Lawson's. And then we spill coffee. We spill crayons. We, we, we try and reconcile arguments and fights. And Jeff spoke about Melchizedek. I had to go back and listen to it later on in the week just to know what was going on. Planned children and unplanned children require sacrifice. It is difficult. It's not all difficult. Help me with discernment here. Not everyone that has a child gets to see them their first day of school. Not everyone who has a child gets to be there on their wedding day, gets to learn the tone of their voice. And the idea of having to sacrifice a child being born and put into care of someone else is also overwhelming. Can you not see the reason why someone would think it'd just be easier if we end this life? We can, we can hide it. We can get rid of it. I don't have to live with that pain. But it's a lie. The pain would not go away. We see that abortion also seeks to assault the image of God. This is one of the great reasons why we believe in the sanctity of life. We are born with God's Image In Genesis 9, 6, we read, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. In this passage, in Genesis 9, 6, Yahweh doesn't say, You should not kill man because it hurts him. You should not kill man because it's bad. You shall not kill man because it places an assault on on my image. And an abortion 
is an assault against the true and living God. Satan would love nothing more than to erase his image. I believe that is his main pursuit, is to receive God's glory, to steal it from him, and to erase his image. We read about this image in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. It's usually read during sermons like this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, He created him. So we as image bearers, which are completely unique from any other creature, let us worship the Lord, let us honor him and not slaughter his image. Think about his sovereignty in creating each and every one of us. As a chaplain, I'm beside many hospital beds, learning many stories, hearing talents and attributes, personality quirks that people have. Sometimes I see someone and they pass, and the family's left holding on to those memories, and, and what gets them by is just the moments of affection, or the way in which they discipled them or strengthened their faith. How they were goofy and silly with them. God has given those moments to them. God has made them in such a unique and profound way. How dare us place our hands on such a being and take its life for our convenience. I'd like to speak a little bit about God's creativity. Um, The Bible talks about God's creative work in fashioning man in several places. Let's go to uh, Psalm 139. David writes in this section, Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So David's saying, Nothing is is hidden from your sight. There's no mystery that cloaks your knowing. In his all knowingness, David says, For you formed me in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet 
there was not one of them. David worships God in song about his creativity here. Think about just our features. And then, phys- and then moving from the physical, think about our emotions and how beautiful and sometimes complex they are. In my home, Natalie, I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. Trust your dad. She's getting older. And the emotional complexities of my daughter are, are beginning where something can be funny and sad, scary, and fun. I mean, I, I'm at the stage where it can be disgusting yet, yet luring. The instincts within us, fearfully and wonderfully made we are. Job 10, 11 through 12 says, You clothe me, with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinew. You have granted me life and loving kindness, and your care has preserved my spirit. Job, in his suffering, thinks of the comfort that God has created him. This might be one apologetic. This might be one argument you could place to someone who is in fear and who is contemplating abortion? Do you know that the Lord in his loving kindness is starting to fashion a little one? And as he's fashioning that little one, he's placing upon them his image. Do you know that little, that little one in, in the womb is filled with personality? That there are specific gifts and talents he is going to clothe and sew into the fabric of that person. How loving God is to do such a thing. What a joy we have as men and women to procreate and see this happen in our own homes, in our own families, before our eyes. The Bible also says abortion is a cultic or satanic practice that the people of God are not to engage in. Leviticus 18.21 says, You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Later in Leviticus chapter 22 through 5, Moses writes, You shall also say to the sons of Israel, Any man from the sons of Israel or from the aliens sojourning in Israel who gives any of his offspring to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will also set my face against that man and will cut him off from among the people because he has given some of his offspring to Molech so as to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. If the people of the land, however, should ever disregard that man 
when he gives any of his offspring to Moloch so as not to put him to death, then I myself will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut off from among their people both him and all those who play the harlot after him by playing the harlot after Moloch. It's wicked. It, it, it's not ucky. It, it's wicked. It is satanic to rip apart an innocent little one. The safest place that it should be is within its mother's womb. And yet the evil one rejoices and those who do not fear the Lord and worship him rightly find this as good and oftentimes to be celebrated and not by all. There are some that engage this with fear, with lack of understanding, and with manipulation and promotion of such, such acts. And yet on the other side of the spectrum, there are those that celebrate it, make videos about it, and mock such things. The Bible teaches that this practice is demonic, and it is worship of a false god. You might think, well, it's not really worship of a false god. You could have an abortion and not believe in a god. I would say, no, that is a worship of yourself. You're worshiping different idols in your life that the culture has put before you. You are deceived. You do not know what you are bowing down to. You don't know what you are sacrificing. And the Lord hates it. We see throughout scripture a portrait of the serpent seeking to hunt the seed of the woman. I've talked about this in passing already, but in redemptive history we hear of Moses escaping Pharaoh and the midwives having to go in secret to deliver children and Moses' mother having to put him down the river to escape bloodthirsty Pharaoh. When Herod hears that a promised Messiah is being born, Bethlehem is pursued and innocent lives are killed. In Revelation 12, we read of the great dragon who seeks to devour the woman's son. Divorce, abortion is a de demonic an evil practice that seeks to remove the promises of God. Now you might hear these things and think that's very harsh. I don't want to be harsh. Okay, Pastor Daniel, you're coming down very heavy and the Bible doesn't really allow a lot of wiggle room. I'm going to just be quiet or, or I'm going to have a third option here. I'm not going to be for it or against it. I'm going to just, be, you know, you do you. And, and I'll do me. Very early on in, in my wife's, um, in me and my wife's marriage, maybe two weeks, we hear a loved one that's considering an abortion. And we think, we, we're going into seminary, so we, don't, we can afford ramen noodles. That is it. Like it takes me two weeks to afford shoes to work at Chick-fil-A. That's how broke we were. And we're thinking, what in the world can we do? 
how can we inter- intervene? We can't adopt a kid. We, we can barely afford gas. And in that circle of counsel, loved ones that were included in this, someone said, well, uh, I personally am not for abortion, but I would support whatever it is you decide. That's not love. That's saying, I, I, I myself want to remain a, a spotless lamb here, but if you want to ruin your life, if you want to kill an innocent child, if you want to disobey God, I'll help. I, I can drive you, or we can talk about it afterwards. I, I, I'm always a listening ear, and there'll be no judgment. Judgment is good. Counsel is good. Affirming someone of what God has said is good. Hiding what God has said is not loving. It's not always easy. Love isn't always easy. Best is rarely easy. But these things are good. A couple of months ago, I can't find the tweet, and I'm embarrassed when I mention Twitter from behind the pulpit because it's not very sanctifying. And don't look me up on Twitter because I like to keep up with politics, the Pope, and theologians. I'm not a huge fan of the Pope, by the way. You should know that. But I came across one argument, and I was like, wow, hallelujah, that's a good argument. Abortion is an assault on Christology. Denying the humanity of Jesus. That should be very important to the saints. For an unbeliever, messing with Christology, what in the world is that? For you, it means everything. If it can possibly distort the humanity of Christ, we are to realign our thinking. So if you will, please go to Luke chapter 1, verse 41 through 45. This is when Elizabeth and Mary meet. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, that's John the baptizer, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit in your womb. And how is it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. John the Baptist in the womb leaps. Elizabeth, serving as a prophet in this section, interprets that that there is a rejoice from the own fruit of my womb to the fruit of your womb. And what's the fruit of the womb here? I didn't slip in saying that. It's a child. Mary isn't growing a banana. Mary isn't growing a tangerine. 
In fact, she is called a mother. What makes someone a mother? A child. Luke records for us in his gospel, a child was growing in the womb. Not collected cells, not some tumor, a baby, a child. We denounce abortion because it places an assault on Christ's humanity and our Christology. He had to be fully God and fully man to ransom us. Abortion is against the welcoming nature of Jesus. We find in Matthew 19, 14, let the children alone, uh, let the children alone. And do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And some people say, well, well, we can get babies to heaven a whole lot quicker. We can, we can slaughter these children, and then they're with Jesus now in heaven. That's wicked, and that's a weak argument. Jesus doesn't say, hey, instead of having them sit on my lap and me hold them and love them and hug, he doesn't say, let's just kill them so they can be with God the Father. He does not say that. He welcomes them. He loves them. He uses them in his teaching. And he also gives a warning about those who would mistreat them. Matthew 18, 3 through 6, we read, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus points to the child and says, you are to be one like this in innocence. You're to be one like this that, that believes, that trusts, that is, can be molded. You want to be great in my kingdom? Be gentle, be innocent. And to those that would lead one astray, woe unto you. Jesus is not indifferent to that. We're not to be indifferent to that. As we, as we come to a, a close to this sermon, I want us to have compassion for those who are in close relation to this. They've e- they have either performed an abortion or maybe their little one was ad- aborted Maybe they're thinking about it now. Remind them, remind yourself, this little one bears God's image. They are wonderfully made. That we are to speak for them. And we're not to be indifferent. In fact, neutral is not an option. Um, Proverbs 24, 11 through 12 to deliver those who are being taken away to death 
and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. For you say, see, we did not know this. Does he not consider it and weigh, uh, who weighs the heart? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his works? Do what is right. Promote what is right. And love those who are wrestling. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, it is overwhelming that abortion exists. Father God, it's heartbreaking to know there are many children that have not been able to say a parent's name, have not been able to sing a song. Lord, there are many families that have been touched by this and are shaken and wonder if there is forgiveness or grace available for them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would comfort these homes, that you would assure them that sinners who submit to your lordship and rely on Christ as Savior are brought in. May we not be pious. May we not think we are better. May we be loving and may we be faithful to your word. We ask this in, our sons, in your son's name. Amen.